the church that Christ started and uh, how it got started and, and uh, uh, what they were doing. And one of these things are a truth from the Word of God is culture might change, times might change, but the Word of God remains constant. And God, He says, He changes not. And the Lord, because He knows the beginning and the ending and everything in between, when He lays things down, as in doctrines, principles, they're not to be changed. They're not to be deviated from, even in light of a declining culture. And I guess that's why the burden to begin to remind us, not that we're doing things wrong or anything like that, but to remind us of why we do what we do and why we continue to do it and to continue in the apostles' doctrine, which they had learnt at the feet of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5. You see, many people think that the Sermon of the Mount was all about, they say, well, it's the Beatitudes. It is. Maybe your deeper theologians say, well, that was the Constitution for the millennial reign. And I'd say, it is. <laughs> but if you catch him there in verse 1, verse 2, he says, when he went up into that mountain, his disciples came and he sat and taught them. The multitude was an added bonus, but he was teaching the disciples. And so when this early church took off. They begin to execute the things that Christ had taught them. They are God's ordained order. And so we're catching this. We're, we're looking at right now the kind of preaching that's going on in this early church. And we started this series on who started the church. You know, that's a, that's, that's a question that's often asked. And most people today, I, I'm ashamed to say that they think man started the church. And that's not true. God started it during his earthly ministry, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, and, and you say, oh, okay, yeah, well, I've sat in church in my life. It's Acts chapter 2. That's where it is. Oh, okay. All right. Watch. Follow with me. Christ started it. it has to, anything you build has to have a foundation. The Bible says Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And he does say there in Matthew chapter 16, I will build, future tense, I got you. But it started there with Christ. He says, he says, upon this rock, there it was. I will build. The foundation said, not cutting it for me. And I'm not saying anybody's thinking that. Let me argue <laughs> with myself. <laughs> I've had these theological discussions with people, so let me have some fun in the introduction. And I said, well, Ephesians 2.20, that says that the apostles are the ground and pillar of the church and Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And the church is built upon that. Now, let's get to the cross. Because the Bible's clear that before you can have church or have a church, it has to be purchased, the blood, the cross. And, and, and before uh, you can have the church in full operation, it has to have the comforter, the Holy Spirit, which doesn't show up till the 
day of Pentecost. You say, so how do you reconcile all that? I'll tell you how. It's a picture of a new birth. It was conceived during Christ's earthly ministry. You should understand birth, pregnancies. It was born on the cross. And it took its first breath on the day of Pentecost. Christ started the church. He purchased us with his own blood. And then said, he'll give it the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit of God. So the Lord started it. And then we learned God's purpose for the church. What are we here? Why did he design this? And that was to continue his ministry that he had started. First, Second Corinthians 5. He had started it. And we're continuing the ministry of reconciliation. But then we got into God's funding for the church. Now I had fun with it. Maybe a lot of people didn't, but... God's funding for the church. How is he going to pay for all that? And we could say God's economics for the church. How are we going to attain the funds we need to pay the bills we have and to further the gospel outreach? And so we discovered that in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We've seen it in Acts 2, but I didn't know if you was all ready for that level of giving, which was they gave it all. I'm not ready for that level of giving. <laughs> See, there's room to grow. <laughs> but then we got into the power of Christ. What powers this? And we learned that in chapter 3 about the power of Christ with the impotent man. And then today, chapter 4, which is really going to be a continuation of chapter 3. So if I cross lanes on you, with last week's message, don't panic. But I did make two separate messages because this one's going to be about on the name of Christ. Because they asked them here in chapter 4. This is a continuation. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 5 is not going to do it. That's next week. I don't know what we're titling that yet, but the devil shows up. And so... I don't know what I'm going to title that. Maybe when the devil gets in the buttermilk, I don't know. But it'll be interesting. In chapter 4, it starts with and. Now that means it's a continuation. And let's look and see what's going on here. And as they spake unto the people, that's Peter and John, because of the miracle of the healing of the impotent man, it drew a crowd because that man began to leap and to praise the Lord. And by the way, they didn't have to come and drag him to church. He went right with them. Good, good message there. And so this is drawn, drew the scrutiny of the religious elders. Let's look at it. As they speak unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, now this is important, you need to get this. They came upon them being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus. Here's the name. The resurrection from the dead. Now he said, why would they put all that in there? Well, because the Sadducees are in power. 
You had Pharisees, Sadducees, and there's another sect which escapes me for the moment. Because I'm dealing with the Sadducees. In Acts chapter 23, verse 8, the Bible tells us one of the big problems with the Sadducees is they say, they believe that there is no resurrection. That means they do not believe that there's life after death. No resurrection. They also don't believe in angels. And they don't believe in spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. And so the Sadducees are in power. And remember when the Lord had a run-in with the Sadducees? And He cleaned their clocks for them when they brought this lady. And they said that she had had seven husbands. They were all brothers. And according to the law, in those times, that if a brother died, had been married, and they didn't have children, then the next brother was to go in and to preserve seed to carry on his brother's name because they had plots of land. That was passed down from generation to generation. And so they thought they were so smart that they had this I got you question to the Lord. And they said, so in the resurrection, because all seven brothers were married to him, she never had a child. So in the resurrection, as in if there's really life after death, and you say you never sin and the law is always right, whose wife she going to be? For all seven had her. That was one of those smart-alecky, snide, I got you question. Bet you didn't see that one coming, Jesus. And the Lord kind of just like, he's marveling. He said, well, you do err not knowing the scriptures. That's where he starts. You're ignorant and your, your, your belief, your ideology is wrong because you don't understand the scriptures. You don't know them. He says, for in the resurrection, they are neither married, men, nor are given women in marriage, but are as the angels. Oh, neuter? No. Not married. That was the context. That was the context of the question. And what they were getting at was, we can prove to you by this got you question that there is not life after death. And then while the Lord had them there, he said, let me correct something else out. In, because they believed in Jehovah. God, you know, they're Jews. Good. But he says, let me ask you a question. Is God the God of the living or God of the dead? For does he not introduce himself, for say I'm paraphrasing, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now if he was God of the dead, he had never mentioned those three names. But he mentions them because they're still living. Like, ooh. And that shut them down. Now that's who you're dealing with here, and here's why. Peter had told them, and John says, Oh, it's not our power that healed this man. And it's not our holiness. It, it wasn't because, what do we call this, a paisley tie? <laughs> okay, He didn't have on a paisley tie. You know, that's where the power is at. Yeah, right there. Paisley tie. I can heal because I got this tie. That's not where the power was at. And Peter tells them, it was through the power of Christ whom ye slew. And they didn't like that. Because Peter's telling them that he's alive. And they were eyewitnesses. And this is not good. 
Because the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people out of this big group had been born again. And we're going to find out in, chapter, in verse 4 here that another 5,000 believe the gospel and get saved and join the church. And the Sadducees, you see, they don't believe in life after death. And that's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> But that's who that group is. So I need you to understand the nature of this, this line of questioning and why this was so troublesome for this group. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, this, this group is of their father, the devil. They're following the way of Satan. They're rebellious against the scriptures. They're restless. And they're resentful of the plan God had put into place, which had started in Genesis chapter 3. And they knew this. There was a Messiah coming. And they had felt like they didn't need a Messiah because they had animal sacrifices. They wanted a king. And Jesus is a king. But he had to pay the sin debt of the world. He had to be the sacrificial lamb first. And so they had purposely cut that part of their scriptures out. They didn't want to read those. They don't like them. And they only focused on the parts they liked. And come up with hard got you questions. So that they could twist the scriptures to fit their ideology. Verse 3. And so they didn't like the preaching. They didn't like this man getting healed, making them look bad. And they laid hands on them, yeah. Church persecution, we'll preach on that. I think chapter 6, it gets more violent. And they put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. So now we have 8,000 people in this church. Now I'm telling you, by the time we get through the book of Acts, there's close to 50,000 people in this church. That's a big crowd. Because it's going double here. In a couple chapters. About the time you start multiplying, numbers go up big time. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and the scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, when you read sometimes some theologians say it's, it's really one and the same. And, and they're more than likely right because your authority comes to a name. And I thought, man, I, I need a good illustration on what's in a name, but I couldn't find one. So I decided just to bypass that. And I still like the concept of two messages. <laughs> because you just can't get enough preaching on Jesus. <laughs> I'll put it to you like that. And so they said, we want to know what name you've done this in. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we be examined of the good deed. That's correct. That's exactly why they were there. It created an uproar done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole. 
be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. Oh, he confronts them immediately. That's why he's preaching. He's confronting them about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the Holy Spirit's working there bearing witness to it. Holy Spirit's in this service, folks. Well, I'm not getting that warm, fuzzy feeling. That's because you've been playing with the wrong spirit. Spirits. Go to, go to John chapter 16, read down, starting about verse 7, down through 1920. He'll tell you when the Holy Spirit gets into a service, what's the first thing starts happening. And he says he will reprove. That's convicting of sin. So he confronts you on sin. And that's what Peter starts in. And he says, you crucified whom God raised from the dead. There's the kicker. They didn't believe in life after death. They did not believe in a resurrection. There's no way this could be possible. Even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Ooh. See, they can't refute that. We'll read on. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Yeah, amen. Cornerstone. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name. There's the title. There's no other name. Under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Yeah, you don't have to have a five-year Bible college degree. You just need to spend some time with Jesus and in this book and, un, and under a good pastor, according to what this Bible says. And you'll be a lot farther ahead than the educated crowd here. I'm not against education, by the way, but that's not where the power's at. And that's not where the boldness comes from. They marveled because they said, you're ignorant and unlearned, you know. You still thinking God spoke everything into existence, you know. <laughs> yeah. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Ooh. They knew. Oh, you're them. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Yeah, they, they couldn't refute what the work that had been done. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them, is manifested or manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. How are we going to work against this? Now, instead of getting on the bandwagon, getting saved, and letting the power of God take over, they're going to work against it. But that it spread no further among the people. Mm. Let us straightly threaten them. Yeah. We're kind of familiar with that stuff here in the last two or three years, aren't we? COVID. Oh, we remember that. They were arresting pastors. Uh, there was churches. They're still fighting legal battles. Some of them have won them in America. Uh, Lancaster Baptist Church. They won theirs. They were trying to shut them down. They didn't want this thing to spread. Oh, not COVID. That was the excuse for your self-safety. And that stuff's real. I had a bad bout of it this spring. I'm not, 
I'm not saying that wasn't real. It's it real. It's bad. It's not going to keep me from preaching Jesus. If you can keep the strip clubs open and functioning, I don't know why you want to shut the churches down, but I do know there's a devil that wants to. And he says, so we want to keep this, we don't want it to spread no further among the people. Why? 5,000 just got saved. And they threatened them that they speak henceforth to no man, watch this, in this name. Now let us pray, let's preach. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Now Lord, we've had a good time this morning. I plead the blood of Christ because there's power in the blood. We're preaching in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to bless the message, speak through me, to help the people in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You see, you've probably watched, and I know I've watched, some of the council meetings across the country, and we're seeing what's going on. These people in these council meetings in the cities, and the one I watched was in Florida, they have no qualms and no problem if someone, they're still opening up in prayer. And I watched as a man come up there who was a Satanist, and he prays in the name of Satan, and when he was done, everybody claps. Oh, that was so great. He's exercising his religious freedom. Oh, that's so wonderful. Ain't America so great? And then the next clip is of the same council, and a man gets up in another meeting, and he prays in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And half of them walk out, and the other half condemn him for doing so. And said, we don't do that here. How dare you pray in his name? And it created a big scandal. See, they don't mind the praying. They don't mind the preaching. They don't mind the teaching as long as you don't do it in that name. You say, well, brother, what name? Jesus. Why? I'll tell you why. See, when you start talking about Jesus, and I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, come, the Son of God, give His life on the cross, you can't, not help but think about the cross. That's why the cross and the lights on it today. We don't need PowerPoint today. We just need the cross. Because when you talk about Jesus, you're reminded of cross and you're reminded automatically of sin. And there's the rub. But then it gets worse because now you're reminded that he rose again the third day. And there's power in that name. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. And He is who He said He was. And He still is today. And He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And there's power in the name of Jesus. And the devil and his crowd don't like it. It's foolish to them. And they want to shut it down. Now this Bible is clear that all power has been given to Christ since the resurrection, remember? Matthew says in chapter 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. 
I told a Jehovah's Witness one time who refused to acknowledge that Jesus is God. I said, I don't care how you feel about it, how you think about it. This Bible says that He is God. But let me tell you this, and I took him to that verse. God says, you're going to have to deal with Jesus. And he's trying to bypass Jesus and go directly to God. And God's telling you in black and white, letters in red too, that all power has been given to Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven and in earth, and that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they hate it. I don't care if you're a Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon. I don't care if you're an atheist. This Bible says that one day you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ because all power has been given to Him because He's God manifested in the flesh. And the devil hates that. You see, the Bible goes on to declare, this is what God's saying. This is not the opinion of your pastor. <laughs> now, my opinion... Definitely agrees with God. God's not with me. I'm with God. There's a difference. There's a difference. In Philippians 2.9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. You want to bypass Jesus and go to God? This is what the Father's saying. This is what Jehovah is saying. You ain't getting to me bypassing Jesus. By the way, that is me. The very name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. That's literally the definition of the name Jesus. Do you see how ignorant people are when they say Jesus ain't God? So what's the name Jesus mean? It's just a name. Oh, no, 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 no. It ain't just a name. <laughs> it says and it means Jehovah is salvation. <laughs> and if that's not good enough for you, Matthew says the angel told Mary his name will be Emmanuel. Isaiah said that. And Emmanuel literally means God with us. You can't get around it. There's power in this name. Philippians 2.11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and He doesn't care whether you want to believe it or not. This ain't a video game where if you don't look at it, it ain't going to happen to you. It's happening. It's reality. Now I'm going to give you three things about the name of Jesus that I find in this text. So what I mean by that is there's other things connected with the name of Christ, but I'm preaching this text and trying not to preach the whole Bible and around the world and to the moon and back. Because we could preach on this name for the rest of our days and still never exalt it or exhaust it. We will be exalting Christ. I see according to verse 12. I need verse 9. Let me give you point one. His name will heal you. That's how this man had gotten healed. 
This man had been impotent. He could not fix himself. I couldn't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. Jesus will bring visible healing to your life. He'll fix your walk. That's what he did to this man. He'll fix your talk. And Peter said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's what he said in chapter 3, rise up and walk. That's where the power's at. I'm preaching in the name of Jesus this morning. I'm not preaching in the name of Buddha. There's no power in that name. Buddha's still in the grave. I'm not preaching in the name of Muhammad this morning. He's in the grave. There's no power in that name. I'm not preaching in the name of Confucius this morning. There's no power. He's still in the ground. I'm not preaching in the name of a denomination or a pope or a cardinal. There's no power there. Not everlasting in all power. I'm preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that name, you can come if you'll believe and accept Him. There is healing. He'll heal you. He will raise you up. He'll fix your walk. He'll fix your talk. But then, and I know we need this point because I was working on it more and added to it, and this is where I got into the blood part. His name will help you, verse 12. You look there in verse 12. Neither is there salvation. Salvation is help. See, you need to be viewing this, that you were on your way headed to hell. And God said, if you'll trust me, believe me, receive me, I'm going to save you from your destination that's called hell. See, the devil's crowd wants you to think, oh, God's such a meanie. Why would such a loving God just start casting people into hell? That's the wrong question. Why would people reject such a loving God? That's the right question. Why would you openly reject a name where there's power connected to it? That can help you. That means to save. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My thinking and my thought on this is that Jesus just doesn't save you and walk away. He's there to help us overcome some things. He helped this man overcome his impotence, his inability to help himself. He could not save himself. He could not heal himself. But there's power in the name of Jesus. He'll change your life. And it's just not a one-time thing. He just didn't set you on the straight and narrow way to heaven. He's there to go on the journey with you to help you in your time of need. Now let me develop this a little more. 
He's here to help us overcome sin, self, and Satan. I'll give you some scripture. In 1 John 4, verse 4, he said, You're of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you. Talking to saved people, this is what happens when you get saved. You've got the help and the power of Christ living in you. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's in the world? Who's the God of this world? The, the devil. Now how? How do we do this? What was this man tapping into here? What were they so upset about? What was Peter going on about? Because this is the same temple that he denied Christ in. But buddy, his message had changed. He had overcome some things in his life, did he not? You see, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Now this is in the future, near future. Your Bible says this, and they, talking about tribulation saints, there'll be people getting saved in the tribulation, trusting in Christ, rejecting the Antichrist. And he says, they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb <laughs> and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. Now, they're going to die for it, but they ain't taking the mark. And they overcome that temptation to take that mark, and they overcome the power of Satan in the lovely name and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you think churches want to take the blood songs out? We sang one. I sang one. We're not going to get away from that. That's where the power is. They're connected. And so when you say Jesus, they know immediately who you're talking about. It reminds them of the cross, and it reminds them of the blood that was shed. And there's power in the blood of the Lamb. And the devil hates it. The demons flee from it. And it's a power that we do not tap into. Ephesians says this, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off or made nigh by the blood of Christ. See, it's connected. The blood of Muhammad's not going to do nothing for you. Confucius, Buddha, all these other false gods are not going to do it for you. Their blood is not going to work. There's no power in it. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. There's something about the blood of Christ. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then in verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. And in this context, after he tells you how it's going to happen, and there's power, there's help, there's salvation here. We're not talking about saving salvation. We're talking about help to overcome the wicked one. And he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, 
People will not get victory over their sin for a reason. And I'm going to tell you why. Some of them are saved. And they're wallowing around in, in sin. And they can't get delivered from it. You want to know why? You're not stopping by at the cross in the morning. Pleading the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And asking Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins that you've committed. And to cleanse you and to wash you in the blood. Because the demon that's bothering you, he's got to flee. He says you resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He didn't mean to do that on your own power. Here's somebody in there. There's a person in there called the Lord Jesus Christ. Who says, I will help you overcome the wicked one. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world you have no power because you will not apply the blood you got to stop by the cross and you got to do so daily and then the bible says how shall a young man cleanse his ways by giving heed thereunto the word of god you're going to have to get in the book you will not get victory in your life until you get in this book and until you plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse you and to forgive you of your sins. You will be powerless. You will not get victory over addiction. You will do nothing for God because you're letting the evil one, the wicked one, overcome you. And the whole time, there you sit in your own slop trying to figure out what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. You're making a choice. You're loving the pleasure more than God. And he says, you got a form of godliness, but you deny, what's he say? The power thereof. Oh, you say I'm not saved? Nope, not saying that. I'm saying you're denying the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of Christ to give you victory in your life. That's why. And you're making that choice not to stop at Calvary every morning. You don't want to stop and bow the knee and confess your sins to a Savior and let Him put the blood on your account and to forgive you and to cleanse you and to give you the power to overcome the wicked one. That's the help this man received. That's the power of the name of Jesus. And the devil hates it. The devil, the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, he has taken some of God's children captive. They don't have to stay there. They're there because they want to be there. Because they won't stop at the cross because they thought it was a one-time thing. Oh, I got to get saved again? That's definitely not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're going to have to confess your sins. You're still having trouble. Why don't you start pleading the blood of Jesus to cover them with? And I got news for you. The demons and the devils and Satan has to flee. They don't like the blood. You think there's something funny going on in your house, spirit-wise? Start praying out loud and pleading the blood. I promise you they got to go. 
Why? Because there is power in the name of Jesus. One more thing. The name of Jesus, verse 13, will give you heart. That's boldness. He says in verse 13, now when they saw the boldness, oh, wow. Others saw this boldness. This boldness was for Christ because Christ was greater than. Even though these men were ignorant and unlearned, yet they had been with Jesus. No other name will give you this type of boldness. And in closing, I'm going to read you two testimonies from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And the first one's Peter and about the boldness of Peter. Peter's the man who denied Christ. But God restored him, applied the blood and forgave him. And he never, never, never looked back. And this is what history says from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Among many other saints, the blessed apostle Peter was condemned to death and crucified, as some do write, at Rome. Albeit, some others, and not without cause, do doubt thereof. Hegabus saith that Nero, so he's quoting from a historian, Hegabus, says that Nero sought matter against Peter, to put him to death, which when the people perceived, they entreated Peter with much ado that he would fly the city. And Peter, through their importunity, that means they wouldn't let the matter drop, at length persuaded, he prepared himself to avoid. But coming to the gate, he saw the Lord Christ come to meet him, to whom he worshiped, saith, Lord, Whither dost thou go? To whom he answered and said, I'm coming in to be crucified. And by this Peter perceived his suffering to be understood. Of course, he probably recalled the words Christ said to him there in John about in his older age. And so Jerome says that Peter was crucified, his head being down and his feet upward. Himself so requiring because he was, he said, unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner as the Lord was. You say, where did he get that boldness? <laughs> There's power in the blood. There's power in the name of Jesus. I'm going to read you about John, the Apostle John, who was here also from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. John, the beloved disciple, was brother to James the Great. The churches of Smyrna, Pergamus, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Thyatira were founded by him. From Ephesus he was ordered to be sent to Rome, where it is affirmed he was cast into a cauldron of boiling oil. He escaped by miracle without injury. Domitian afterwards banished him to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Nerva, the successor of Domitia, recalled him, and he was the only apostle who escaped a violent death. You say, preacher, where did he get that boldness? There's power 
in the name of Jesus. You see, the name of Jesus will heal you, will help you. He'll help you with your day-to-day battles. But he'll give you some heart to stand for Christ and what he's done for you and not to deny him. Peter knew something about that. But he also knew about the power of the blood because in 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about the blood of sprinkling, talking about the blood of Christ, cleansing people from their sin. There is salvation only in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've said a number of times, I'm not preaching in the name of denomination or in the name of Muhammad, in the name of Buddha or Confucius or any other name you could pick. Those are only three I could recall quickly. And I felt like they were enough to illustrate that there's not power in any other name. There's no other name given under heaven among men whereby you must be saved. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We preach and we operate in the power and authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it gives us the power to be healed. He helps us in our day-to-day battles. And then He gives us the heart and we can be bold for Christ to the point that others will see Christ in us and know the devil's crowd's not going to like it. They will work. They'll start by confronting you. Two, they'll threaten you. But then it gets worse from there. It ultimately ends in being killed because they hate the name which is a lovely name god said he's exalted above every other name and that every knee is going to bow every tongue is going to confess that jesus christ is lord what a lovely name the name jesus let's all stand this morning